a question that we all should be asking ourselves. Is his grace enough? As we think about what he's done for us and, and how faithful he's been to us, is his grace enough? I pray that it is, or I pray at least that you would think about what that means, what that looks like for you in your own life, and be asking that question not just momentarily, but uh, consistently, every moment of every day, or you are we content in who God is and what He's done for us in our lives? This is a very important question. I think we all should be asking ourselves and be striving for the contentment that is only provided through Christ Jesus. Uh, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter four. We're going to continue our series in the book of Acts. Acts chapter four. We're going to start in in verse one. Um, I was watching a movie yesterday, and forgive me, I don't remember the name of it. I just kind of, on Saturdays, my day off, I just kind of just veg out and watch just random stuff on TV just to get my mind off of things. And so um, in this movie, there was an, uh, uh, an act of road rage. So, you know, a lady was, had a lot of stuff going on in her life, and she's driving her kid to school. They were late. She woke up late, and uh, he was going to get detention if he got to, to, to school late again, and she had to get to work and all these things. And so all these things are on her mind, and, uh, and, and she gets cut off. And, you know, we know how this thing works. We know people in the world do worldly things. And, um, and the guy says some not-so-nice words and had some uh, hand gestures that went, went with it and um, got mad, right? And so uh, he ends up following her. Um, and, and she was going to meet a friend in a coffee shop, and he's just kind of going off on this guy in the coffee shop. Well, what was interesting about it was the people in the coffee shop saw this eruption that was happening and taking place, and they all just kind of sat around and watched. It was amazing to me, as, as I'm, uh, this frequently happens, if you're a Christian and seeing the world through the, the lens of Scripture, you tend to notice things like this. I'm thinking, why are they sitting there? Why, why are they allowing this man to berate this woman and this other guy? And it's, it's clearly about to get violent and everybody was standing. Not only did they just look, but they, they pulled out their phone and started to record it. This is the world we live in. And instead of speaking up or, or saying something or like, hey, calm down, just the, the bare minimum you know, this, 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 this artistic movie is, is representing what we actually see in the world today. People don't want to get involved. And I'm afraid to say that many of us are guilty of this as well as Christians. That even though that we have this, this sacred text and we have God who is speaking to us through his scripture, we don't often stand up and be bold with what he has told his people that we would uh, stand by as onlookers as the world does these various atrocities and we make rules and, and laws and requirements and, and the things that are evil are now good and we just sit back like, well, it's uh, too bad. We must be bold. We must stand up for what is good, what is right, and what is true. To help us to focus on that this morning, we'll see how this looked in the early church. Again, Acts chapter 4, 
We'll start in verse 1. We get to see as the early church is forming kind of what this looks like. And, and for them, you know, the consequences are dire. The consequences is not just that people would look at you funny or, or just brush you off as oh, one of those Bible thumpers or, or just dismiss you. The consequences are far more dire as we'll see here this morning in our text. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4, says, And they were speaking to the people, the priests and the, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came uh, upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So it's not already not getting off to a good start, right? They're already annoyed. What are these guys doing? And they arrest them in verse 3. The them is, you know, Peter and John is going, and they're, they're preaching the gospel, proclaiming Jesus. Arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. This is amazing to me, and I, I, this is why I love the book of Acts, because we, we get to see the, the, the Holy Spirit come, and, and we get to see him act, and all these people are hearing the, the gospel. They're hearing the good news. They, they have heard about this man, Jesus, and then we have the apostles going out, these, this ragtag bunch that, that really nobody really cared about, and then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit infuses them, and then they just speak with boldness. And they're standing on everything and going to tell everybody who would listen about who Jesus Christ is. And this is what we're happen we see happening here. But in our text, we see the, the persecution that starts to begin because of this. Last week, we read about the lame man that was being healed. And now God brings 5,000 men to Christ. Remember the lame man? He had, he had not walked since, he never walked before in his life. Lame, he's at the beautiful gate. He's going there asking for alms. And then here, here's Peter and John like, well, I don't have any money to give you, but what I do have, you're going to love. You're going to like this. Stand in the name of Jesus Christ and be healed. This man never walked before, didn't know how. He jumps up. He leaps up and starts walking and dancing. Is the most amazing thing that I have ever thought about or dreamed about. Just imagining if I was there as a, as a fly on the wall and seeing this happen and take place. This man leaps up and starts proclaiming God. And people are like, hey, what's the dude that's, that's always sitting outside the gate? How's he walking? What, what just happened? And we get to proclaim the good news of, of who Jesus Christ is and what he is, is doing. So right after this, we see 5,000 men come to Christ and many more outside of those men. These Sadducees, as we're seeing in the text, they, they see all this stuff happening. They didn't believe in the resurrection and they wanted this teaching to stop. Like, we need to put a hold to these guys. They're out here teaching about this Christ who has gone and resurrected. We don't believe in any of that stuff. They need to get out of here. But unfortunately for them, their attempts to suppress the Christian message only made the message spread that much faster. Can you imagine that? They're trying to, to, to keep it quiet and put these guys, let's arrest them, let's get them out so nobody else hears about this. But that just makes the message go that much further. If you remember on Pentecost in chapter 2, there were only 120 believers there. But after Peter stepped down from the pulpit after his sermon, there were 3,000 that were at it. 
Then after healing this disabled man, Peter again preaches another fire sermon on that Sunday. 5,000 more coming. Man, I wish that would be happening here in this church. And that people would be hearing the good news and be convicted and changed and transformed by what they're hearing and coming to know him. Many people today know uh, churches for preaching about rules and regulations, but while we obviously need to know what's acceptable to God and what's not, um, we need to be taking this gospel message out. We need to be telling people about the hope that is available. And it's about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ that makes the point. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves more acceptable to God. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us acceptable. You, you can't clean yourself up enough. You can't do enough good. Jesus Christ did everything that was necessary for us on the cross. We have to remember we're not the, the center of the story. We, we are not the hero. This sacred text is all about Jesus from beginning to end. And he is our message. He is our theme, Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in Colossians 1 and 28. He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And this is what James and, and uh, John and Peter, excuse me, what, what John and Peter, Peter are doing here, proclaiming Christ and what he's done. Look with me in verse five. It says, on the next day, uh, there are rulers and elders and scribes that gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if I were being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised up from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which uh, has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, <laughs> for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Man, I, let, let's just stop there. This is, this is what we're about. This is what, this is not only this, this sermon, not, but this book, everything. This is what we're about as Christians. And Peter just lays it down plainly. Oh man, I would have loved to be there and just see, see the look on their faces, the jaws drop. Like, how dare you claim this, this Jesus? And, and you're gonna blame us, the, the one, what, what, are you, what are you trying to, this, see, this is why you're going to jail. Man, I would have loved to be there to see this happening and take place. We got to look at the boldness that Peter has as he's speaking. Remember, this is the same Peter. I keep reminding you of this because it's really important. This is the same Peter when Jesus said, you will deny me three times. Peter's like, no, nah, not me. Not me. But sure enough, he denied Jesus when he was about to be crucified. And he, and he goes off and feeling grief and, and hurt. He couldn't imagine. It's like, 
I'm sure he meant well, but when it came time, he didn't have the boldness to stand on. But here he is, filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is a new dude. This is, this is a whole different dude than what we read about before. This is my testimony as well. The guy you see standing before you is not the same guy <laughs> that I was 20 years ago because of the Holy Spirit and the work that he's doing, not to brag or to boast, but this is just how magnificent our Lord is. I don't deserve to be standing here and being a mouthpiece for God. I wouldn't have imagined, I would have told you you were crazy if you told me that I would be doing this here today, 20 years ago. But it's because of the work that the Holy Spirit has done. Now he's filled, Peter, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's, he's bold, he's confident, he's courageous. And he stands before this Jewish leadership and proclaims the gospel. Peter says, now you remember the Messiah that you beat up and mocked. You remember that guy? That you, that you drugged and, 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 did, and you spat on? The one you humiliated, the one you rejected, the one you killed, you remember him? Well, God raised him. God raised him from the grave, and it's by his authority. You want to know how, whose name and by whose authority we do this? It's by his authority that we're able to do this. This is by his authority that this man was healed. They thought they had a good plan getting rid of Jesus, but they just set the fire going. That's when things really got going. Peter makes this bold claim that, there is no salvation in anyone else other than Christ. And we see this affirmed throughout the entirety of the New Testament. John 14 and 6, Jesus said to them, what? I, I am the way. I am the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except by me. So we want to equivocate and and and. and we act like it's splitting hairs, but it's not. Brothers and sisters, if we follow Christ, the Holy Spirit fills us as well. And we have this similar confidence. And, and the, the words that we say uh, at the right time will help us to bear witness to who Jesus Christ is. And so when somebody else says, well, you know, Jesus isn't the only way. You know, there's, there's these other religions. How, how arrogant of you to come and say that, you know, your, your religion is right. Well, it's not me saying this. I didn't make this stuff up. Jesus himself, the one I follow, the, the, the one I am connected to, the one who has adopted me into his family, he says he's the way. He says he's the life. And he says no one comes to the Father except by me. I mean, take it up with Jesus. Well, I think you're just being rude. I don't think you're respecting other people out there and the way they think and the way they believe. I mean, again, take it up with the book. That's, that's what it says. And, and, and so maybe you should explore. Let's have this conversation about why you think this is so unloving. Let's talk about that. Let's open up the doors and, and walk down this, this, this uh, area with you so that uh, you can at least see and understand where I'm coming from. Maybe you won't believe at the end of the day, but maybe you can understand where I'm coming from. But regardless of what people say, the path to salvation is narrow. There's not multiple ways to God and to heaven. There is only one. We can't create our own way to God based on our own efforts or our own ideas or preferences. God provided us a way to be reconciled to him through his son. 
The gospel is incompatible with universalism that says that everyone will be saved at the end. The gospel is also incompatible with inclusivism that says that you can be saved without believing in the gospel. The scriptures are very clear that God provided only one way, and his name is Jesus Christ. It may feel or seem unloving to say that there's only one way, but actually the, the most unloving thing you can do is tell them that that's not the case. That in itself is what is actually unloving, is to tell a lie and say, well, you can believe what you want to and you'd be okay. Not only is it a lie, but it's offensive to Christ. If there were other ways, then he didn't have to die on a cross. If there were some other options, then we could have gone with that. But implying that there's multiple ways diminishes the work of Jesus Christ and his glory. First Timothy 2 and 5 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. John 10 and 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out from to find pasture. The Heavenly Father welcomes those who believe on him. John 3 and 16, we, we all know this, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Romans 10 and 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We've got to speak the truth. It is so important that we, we understand what Scripture says, what God himself says, and we speak truth because it is literally, the consequences are literally life and death. It will be like a doctor withholding his diagnosis because they don't want to offend another person. Like, well, I, you know, this is actually a, a fatal cancer, but that'll just make them sad. I'm just going to tell them they have a bad cold. That's not loving. I'm going to say, this is, this is the status that we're in right now. If we don't do something right now, here are the consequences. You may not live another month or two if we don't do something right now. That is the most loving thing that that doctor can do. Be honest, be truthful about what is going on and provide a course of action. We have the same life and death conversations or we could or should be having these same life or death conversations with the people that we come into contact with. Instead, we are afraid to offend. We're afraid that they'll, they'll, they, won't, they won't be our friend anymore. But I'll tell you what, I'd rather somebody knowing the truth than liking me. So at least by, that, that would ring in their head. It would be like a pebble in their shoe, you know, as they walk away and they will constantly be thinking about, oh, maybe, man, that stuff that Vaughn said, maybe, maybe there is something to that. Maybe there is something about this man, Jesus. Look with me in Acts 4 and 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, 
<laughs> they were astonished. How you, where'd you, where'd you get all this stuff from? How you speak so good? Where do these folks come from? They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. What can you say? This man who had been here for years and never, ever walked in his life, all of a sudden is leaping and walking around. What can you say to that? They had nothing to say in opposition, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what should we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that we may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, well, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you well, rather than to, to God, you must be the judge, for we cannot speak of what, uh, what we, we have heard or seen. And when they had further threatened them, they let, let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people for uh, all the praising of God for what had happened. And for the man who, uh, whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This lame man, this man that was disabled, 40 years old, always sitting at this outside of this temple, and now he's up walking. John and Peter, these regular dudes, they didn't go to seminary. They didn't have this uh, rabbinical title. They didn't have all this training but they had Jesus. They had Jesus. They had gotten firsthand training from the Son of God who taught these fishermen everything that they knew. Let me tell you something. You can have all the extensive, formal, and theological training, and all the degrees you can have at the, the end of your name, all the, the letters and all this kind of stuff. Uh, it means absolutely nothing if you've never been with Jesus. None of that matters. You've got to have a relationship and be Christ's disciples in order to have any lasting spiritual impact on others. Brothers and sisters, you should be encouraged. You should be encouraged that God can use you. Right, where, right there where you are, right uh, with everything that you have, the experience that he's already given you. God can use PhDs and uh, GEDs, all the same. You should be encouraged by that. What you'll notice here is that the Judas, Jewish leaders, they didn't care much about the truth. They only cared about their own religious authority. While Christians are supposed to submit to governing authorities, as outlined in Romans uh, 13 and 1, it says, uh, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except for God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. We are called to be model citizens unless the government commands us to do something that conflicts with God's commands and attempts to undermine our allegiance to him. Look with me in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, 
who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed for truly in this city, they were gathered together for against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you appointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the, the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to do to take place. And now, Lord, look upon your, your, their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Instead of being silenced by the government, they received more confidence. They received more boldness. This is the kind of boldness that we need today. This is the kind of boldness that we need in our churches today. Keenly the one we sit in right now. We have brothers and sisters across the world who are literally being jailed or even worse, killed for their faith in Jesus. Yet here we are, sitting comfortably and worried about trivial things. We get paralyzed by the simple thought of sharing the gospel in a land by which we have the freedom to do such things. We don't, uh, why we don't see uh, the move of the Holy Spirit in Acts today, I, I'm not sure. Maybe it's because we're more concerned about being comfortable or our social standing, or maybe we're concerned about our reputation. We're more concerned about those things than we are about Christ and his mission. So I have a challenge for you this week. You didn't know you were going to get homework, did you? I have a challenge for you this week. That is to tell one person about Jesus Christ. Just one. You got seven days. I don't know how many people you come in contact with day by day, but just tell one person about Jesus Christ. Spend time in prayer this week and ask God to bring you one person so that you can tell them about Jesus and who he is. It doesn't have to be weird. You know, it, it can be just a simple conversation. Trust me, when you pray to God that he will bring you some, someone, he will and give you the opportunity to do so, and he'll give you everything you need, just like we see here in the text. These, these unlearned men, filled with the Holy Spirit, had everything that they needed. And you know what? If you follow Christ, you have that same Holy Spirit to guide you as well, to give you boldness, to give you courage. Ask God to send you one person to tell them about Jesus. He will open a door for you to share it. And it could just be simple as, you know, I, hey, I heard a good message when I was at church this week. Can I tell you about it? It could be simple as that. 
tell one person about Jesus this week. Consider what Paul says in Romans 8 and 11. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life. He will give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Again, brothers and sisters, this is the same spirit who empowered the early church. The same Holy Spirit dwells in us today. Most of us won't face any physical death or anything about our, our faith. It, it's not likely to happen here where we are in Bolingbrook. Some of us might, though. But regardless, we can have courage in whatever we face. We can have contentment. We can have courage. We can have boldness. In the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, written by Martin Luther, he writes, The body they may kill, his truth abideth still. Man, just, just think about the ability that we have. Nothing has changed. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. I recently read a story about a university um, psychology professor, uh, philosophy professor, my, my, my apologies. Um, this philosophy professor, he was deeply committed to atheism. atheism. And his primary goal for each semester um, was to convince his class that God did not exist. Apparently, he was good at debating because everybody was scared to death to say anything to this professor or to go against him in what he was saying. Nobody wanted to argue with him. And at the end of every semester, he would tell the class, if there was anybody there who believed that God existed, stand up. After 20 years of teaching, nobody stood up. Everybody was afraid. He would say, if God existed, this tells you how old this story is. He said uh, he held up a piece of chalk. If God existed, then he could stop this chalk from breaking into pieces when I drop it to the floor. So after he would tell people to stand up, he would drop the, the chalk, and of course, it would break into pieces. This is before we had whiteboards and markers and stuff. Most of us remember Chalk and chalkboards. <laughs> Some of us here have never seen one before, so we'll be praying for you. So every year, nobody would stand up, and he would drop the chalk on the floor, and it would shatter into pieces. Now, of course, the, this was a mandatory class. Everybody had to go through this. It was a general requirement for them. There, of course, there were Christians in these classes, and they just wanted to skate through. They didn't want to be confronted with, by this professor. They didn't want to be looked at uh, weird by their classmates. And so one year, there's this freshman who happened to be a Christian, and he heard about all the stories when he enrolled into this class, and he was afraid. He was like, man, I don't, this is going to be tough for me. What, what, what can I do? So for the entirety of the semester, he prayed that he would have the courage, that he would be able to be bold and stand up no matter what the professor said and no matter what the rest of the class thought. He prayed continuously day by day for the entire semester. He prayed that his faith would be strengthened. 
Finally, the day came. The last day of class, the professor said, if there is anyone who still believes in God, stand up. Slowly from the back of the class, this guy stands and gets up out of his seat, and you can hear a pin drop. All the, the faces win, look to him. The professor looks at him, says, you fool. You are a fool for believing in God. After all this, this entire semester of what we've been talking about, and you, you dare to stand up? If your God is so powerful, this is God you think that, that spoke and, and, and created the entire universe, everything there is, surely your God can stop this piece of chalk from bursting into pieces when I drop it. You're going to feel so foolish. So he proceeds to drop the chalk, and as he drops it, he kind of fumbles it in, in his hand, and it bounces off his shirt onto his shirt, and it, it bounces off his pants and kind of rolls down his pant leg and lands on his shoe and rolls off his shoe and rolls onto the floor. Fully intact. Praise the Lord. He stands and he, he sits and his mouth is open. What just happened? It, it, and the class couldn't get any quieter, but it did. What just happened? The professor is so in awe. He's so embarrassed. He runs out of the lecture hall. But that's not the most amazing part of the story. The most amazing part of the story is that young man who stood up. He goes to the front of the classroom and he tells people about Jesus. He tells the people about his faith and why he believes. This class of 300, they stayed. They, I mean, they could have left, but they, they stayed and were enthralled about hearing about his Christ. I wish we could be that bold. I wish we can act like the Holy Spirit fills us in the same way that he did in the early church. That we believe the words that we read in his scripture. That we believe that he would give us courage, that he would give us boldness. He would even give us the words to say and how to say them so that people would know the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this message this morning, I hope, I hope that it encourages us to share the mission of redemption through Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that you grant us the boldness that we see in Peter and John by the same power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.